0: If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, I'll be reading verses 7 through 11 in a moment. But first, I wanted to kind of help you along to where we are because. Most of the time at the church here, you know that we just open up the next passage in the Bible and preach from there. And that's the best way to understand what God is doing and writing in His Word, is to understand how He has put thoughts together and reasoned and communicated them to us. So, this afternoon, I want to give a bit more introduction, maybe, because we're not doing that. We have been in a series in Acts, and now we've stepped back while Pastor Andy and Pastor Joel are away, and I've taken last week to do one of the many spiritual disciplines in meditation, and then this week we'll be doing prayer. So we're doing it because... It is a spiritual discipline, but also because of the importance of it, because of the reasons that God has given it to us to draw us close to him and help us to understand how he works and what he is doing in our world. There's a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones that said, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. As you think about quotes like that, you've probably heard many yourself, that prayer is so important to both encourage our souls and build us up in following Christ. Prayer throughout the Bible, as you read, is kind of the first fruits, the same way they used to bring the first fruits to the temple to show their faith and confidence in the coming harvest that was going to be bountiful. They would bring it and offer it to God the same way prayer is almost a first fruits of our fellowship with God. Because for all of eternity, we are going to have a deep and intimate fellowship with God. And right now we get to taste that in our prayers. We get to fellowship with God. We get to enjoy His presence. We get to understand Him. We get to cry out to Him, we get to even show our our difficulties and the, the struggles of our heart to Him as we come in prayer. So as I said, we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, and you might ask, of all the passages on prayer, why dive into this one? And I think that we've had two really good series on prayer at our church just in the last maybe four years or so, one Pastor Andy did as he went through Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then another one was when Pastor Trevor went through the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Since there isn't much after the prayer in Gethsemane, I decided to continue on in Pastor Trevor's mold and continue with the Sermon on the Mount. The next piece that is about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount is the section we're doing this afternoon. In it, we're going to form this big idea that Jesus invites you to pray faithfully with the confidence that comes from having a faithful and holy Father. So once again, that's Jesus invites you to pray faithfully with the confidence that comes from having a faithful and holy Father. So as I said, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and jumping into the middle of any text requires us to get a picture of where we are in the Bible. Jesus has come and is preaching. He's done several miracles now and has quite a large following. And his disciples are very close to him as he invites them up onto this hill to preach to them. And he has this sermon now that he's going to preach that he's probably going to preach several other times in several different forms throughout his ministry. Matthew records the largest portion of it for us. And in it, we see that Jesus addresses his disciples. So we want to keep that in mind because it is directly to his disciples, that he's talking to them, he's giving promises to them, he's communicating with those who believe and who follow Jesus, who have already seen him act as a savior, and now are Following him because they are sure that he is the Messiah or at least that he is a prophet and he will later tell them that yes, he is the Messiah. He is the chosen and coming one. But to the unbelievers, the same promises are not here. So as we go through prayer, I don't want you to be to generalize this. We need to remember that it is addressed to the disciples. We have, just as Jesus has, the same message to those who do not believe that the Sermon on the Mount is about his kingdom and his kingdom people, and you are more than welcome to come into that kingdom people. Even the children here now, this is an invitation to you. Jesus is saying, this is how my kingdom looks. These are how my kingdom people look. Please come and join us. See the the blessings of it. See the faithfulness of it. See the end of the kingdom of those who believe in the kingdom of God. Jesus has already described in his Sermon on the Mount that The kingdom and its citizens are people who are blessed, people who are burdened to do right, who are diving into themselves and seeing how sin affects them deeply. And now in chapter 7, he starts describing what it means to be faithful. And in this third description of what it means to be faithful, he teaches us about earnest prayer in verses 7 through 11. So if you would, read with me Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks. It will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Again, the big idea that we're aiming for and Looking at in this sermon is Jesus invites you to pray faithfully with the confidence that comes from having a faithful and holy Father. In verse 7, you can see how Jesus is giving a command, but he's also giving an invitation along with the command and then promises along with that. So although we're commanded to pray, we want to look at these as something that God knows is good for us. That's why he commands it. All his commands are for our benefit. So he is building us up here. But also, it's an invitation from Jesus. He's asking us. He's telling us, this This is what God wants to do for you. This is where God wants you to be. He wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to be asking him questions. He wants you to be seeking after him and knocking so that he might open. In this invitation, first Jesus addresses it, both the promises and the commandments, to you, each one of you. He's telling us that there is an individual address here, that Jesus has something that is specifically for the believers, the disciples. And what is that promise that he has? It is that if you ask, knock, if you ask, seek, or knock, your heavenly Father will hear you and answer you. Jesus uses three different descriptions of prayer, the asking, seeking, and knocking. And we know this because verses 7 through 11 he comes back to the word ask as almost a summary of the other two, that the other two are supposed to give us understanding of the depth of our asking, our willingness to put effort into it, and to keep coming back to God with what is important to us and to him that we might see his answers. They grow in effort. They even build on one another. As we apply these to our own lives, we need to remember that they are commands, that we are supposed to pray, that even as the Sermon on the Mount was taught, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. It was an expectation, a command and an expectation that you would pray. Also, that you would pray faithfully. Asking, seeking, and knocking is not something that is frivolous or is temporary or can be done in a moment. Not that you can't pray quickly, but God wants us to be able and be eager to pray to Him continually and deeply to put effort into our prayers and to see Him answer. You need to trust that God is commanding the type of prayer That will be helpful to you. Prayer that requires effort and repetition. In verse 8, Jesus then gives us, starts to give us reasons for faithfully praying. Jesus gives us these reasons based on God's promises. And the first one is that this is not just a direct address to you, but this is the way that God treats all of His followers, all of His disciples. This is, in general, a promise to His people. The verse says, For everyone who asks receives. Everyone. So, again, to His disciples... We see this because Jesus moves from you to everyone. Elijah, as Keith read earlier, was one like us. He read from James chapter 5, 17 and 18 that Elijah had a like nature to ours. That passage again says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Even though Elijah was a man like us, God gave him answers to these great prayers and promises that if he prayed them, the answers would come. So we look at how we are like Elijah and God, again, is leveling the playing field, telling us that this is why He will answer us when we ask and seek and knock, is because these pre- these promises that God will answer have been given throughout history. And even to men like Elijah, who prayed with devotion, with faithfulness, he was commanded to pray, and then Elijah's God gave him the answer, and he prayed for three and a half years that there would be no rain. Now, if you talk about prayer that required effort and required continual prayer, then it was Elijah's three and a half years of praying to God that it wouldn't rain. Imagine how many times he had to go and Pray that it wouldn't rain today, that this cloud wouldn't have rain in it, that these clouds would pass over, that this storm wouldn't hit Israel, and on and on. And then at the end of three and a half years, he prays again. And he even goes and tells Ahab first that he should go and eat because he hears rain coming. His confidence is so high that he's telling Ahab, that it's almost like he can hear the rain right now, and then he goes away to pray. And he sends off his servants seven times to look for a cloud as he keeps praying. He's confident, but yet he's putting a lot of effort into seeing when he's going to have an answered prayer. And then when he sees the, the cloud that's the size of a fist, Well, when his servant sees it off in the distance and comes back and reports, Elijah knows that that's enough and says to Ahab, now you better go. Otherwise, it's going to rain so much that your chariot won't be able to make it through the town to get out of here and get to Jezreel. So Elijah, being a man of like nature with us, the same makeup that we have, is doing these things because God answers prayer, and he put in effort to pray as God told him and tells us to pray. In a few verses, we see another reason why everyone is put on the same playing field, how everything is level before God when Jesus says, "'You who are evil.'" We, as Jesus said, and remember, he is talking to his disciples. He says, you, being evil, know how to give good gifts. Being evil is addressed to us. Elijah, too, is included in that. So is Moses and Abraham, all the great people of history, all those who prayed great prayers, like Hannah that we heard earlier. All the great prayers of history are prayed by people who are put in this one camp that have the promises of God, and that's the only reason that they're heard. That is the only reason that their words reach the ears of God is because God has made promises that His people will be heard and their prayers will be answered. So to apply this, we are like Elijah, all we need or all in need of invitation and promises of an answer. Also, we need intense and frequent prayer. We're not better or worse than Elijah. Elijah was a prophet and had to pray diligently to see the answers of his prayer. We shouldn't expect less. We shouldn't expect that we can pray and have our answers right away that God wouldn't draw us into this relationship where we have a constant back and forth in prayer in order to transform our understanding of how he's answering our prayer. The next reason Jesus gives is that you, being evil, have a holy Father. There are two things that Jesus tells us having this holy Father when we are evil. The first is the knowledge, how much we know compared to how much God knows. And the next is us being evil, but the Lord being holy. When we compare what we know with what God knows, we can see that in verse 9, "...which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone?" or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. We know what our children want. We know what they need, actually, and that's where the needs get into here, that Jesus is only describing the needs of these children. These children apparently have come to their parents asking for their needs, and Jesus says, you as parents, even though you're evil, know the needs of your child. You You are able to understand that they, like you, need these things in order to live. Well, how much greater is God's knowledge? Not only knowledge of what you need, but what is beneficial for you. That, yes, you need food, but what you really need is Jesus Christ. What you really need is the Holy Spirit to continue to change you and mold you into the likeness of Christ. What you really need is Maybe the no to your answer or your request, your prayer, so that you can grow and learn what you yourself need. Learn that the things that you think you need should humble you when God says no. Because he may be teaching you that your knowledge is not perfect, that your knowledge comes from an evil heart that doesn't know how to ask for the things it really needs, that God is the one who knows. He knows all things. He knows what you need better than you do. So then we get his answer, and we are accept his answer, be it yes or no, as the wise answer of an all-knowing father who loves us and who has faithfully invited us so that he can draw us closer to him. Next, though we are called evil, God is good, God is holy. The children in Jesus' illustration ask for their needs and are given by their parents what is good for them, what is needed. If they need bread and they ask for bread, they are not given a stone. If they ask for fish, they are not given a serpent. Jesus says, you know how to give good gifts. Their needs and good gifts are put on the same level. That our needs are the good gifts of God. And also, it's clear that God knows what is good because he is holy. Knowing what is good, what is beneficial, what is helpful and being holy are necessary. God needs to be perfect in order to know what is perfect, know how He can give good gifts. God's greater goodness will give us even more beneficial gifts than we can think of, than we can give to our children, than we could understand ourselves, because we don't have that ability to think in a good way to think clearly of good. We have to depend on our Heavenly Father to reveal what is good, to show us what is good, to open His Word before us, to minister to us through His Holy Spirit, to teach us what's good, that we might, even by prayers answered and unanswered, to teach us that He is the Holy One. He is the One who is loving us by drawing us into prayer and answering, and delaying, and saying no. So the reasons for praying with effort and repetition are God's promises to all His children. Also that God is faithful to keep His promise, and He is so because He is all-knowing and even more So much more than us, he is holy to give us what is good. Now, most of you have, being Christians, prayed quite a few prayers, and I pray that this will encourage you to pray many, many more. But you might even now be thinking of objections as you think about prayer. As you hear another sermon on prayer, you might think, well, yes, but this or that has happened to me. And I'm going to try to address some of those because as we pray, we often run into things that cause us to stumble, cause us to mistrust, cause us to fail in continuing to pray with that effort and that persistence, that diligence that... Jesus is helping us to understand as the way a faithful citizen of his kingdom acts. So if God knows all things and knows what we need, then why pray? Why pray at all? Well, we have several answers. Some of them are fairly straightforward, but sometimes it makes them no more easy to accept. But God does command it. He commands it because it is good for us, because it builds us up, because it helps us to be more like Jesus Christ. No one was more dependent on the Father as he lived his life than Jesus Christ. Also, God is sovereign over all things, which doesn't just mean the answer to the prayer, but also how you get the answer to the prayer. Somehow, God is working to mold us, mold our hearts to pray, to come to him. And then he uses our own prayers in order to be part of the, the answer to that same prayer. That God is working all things together for his glory, right? He's working all things together for the good of those who love him. So if he's working all these things, then he's working prayer as well. So we pray not just because God commands us, not just because he knows it's good for us and it is good for us, but because it is part of his plan on how he's going to get things done. So ultimately, how he's going to gain glory for the things that he does. God also uses prayer to humble us. Often, prayer is difficult and takes time and effort because we're supposed to be more humble on the other side of it. Often, even when we pray for small things, perhaps it's not even the small things that God's so concerned about. He's more concerned about your heart and how you relate, are relating to Him. Are you humbly coming before Him? Will you be more humble the next time that you pray? Another objection might be, why do I have to pray many times before I have an answer? Shouldn't it be enough that God hears me one time, that He's able to know and remember all things for all eternity? Why should He need me to keep coming back to Him? What if we Switch that around and imagine that God did answer quickly. What if you, every time you prayed, you got the answer right away? Do you think that you would grow very quickly in depending on him? Would he turn into a genie that was basically just someone was around toward the side that you could call on? Ah, yes, I know. Okay, I got my answer. I'll continue on with my own life. But if I have to keep coming and putting effort, if I have to bow before Him, if I have to wait on Him, if I have to understand that He is the only one that can answer my prayer, then I'm a lot more humble. I'm a lot more dependent. I wait for the one who will give the good answer, the holy answer. Would you also learn to trust his timing? If you came to him right away and he answered right away, would you learn to trust that his timing was good? Or as you prayed on and on for years, like Isaac, would you pray for 20 years? How great must his understanding of God's timing been when God finally answered his prayer and gave him a child? He would truly trust that God had a perfect sense of timing in his life. Another objection might be, why with effort? Why fervently? Again, if we receive our answer without effort, then what what will happen? Won't you be more convinced that you didn't deserve it? if you put effort into it, that it wasn't a work that you had worked out for yourself? If you put a large amount of effort into it, are you then convinced that, well, of course, I deserve it now. But if you keep putting effort into it and you're unsure of when that answer is coming, won't you be convinced that I don't deserve this? I don't deserve to be answered. I'm not good enough. I haven't prayed enough. This is all by God's grace that I have an answer at all. And won't you value it more if it takes work? Won't you treasure it if you have to put effort into it? Won't you remember the answer more? Won't you remember to write it down in your journal? Won't you set up that stone of Ebenezer that reminds you that this was an answer by God because you prayed for so long and put so much effort that you knew in every way you were depending on God for the answer to your prayer? And won't you be more thankful the more effort and the more time you put into it? Won't it be a greater reason to praise God because He has finally answered your prayer that you have brought to Him over and over again? That it is so important to you and God has said yes it was so important to me, too. And here is your answer. Last, the last objection might be, why don't I get what I ask for? I think drawing this directly back to the passage rather than going into all manner of things. If Jesus still calls you evil... Maybe you don't know what's good for you. Maybe it's good. Actually, it has to be good that you don't get what you ask for. Your children know their needs. But do you know your needs? Do you know how much you need your Heavenly Father? How much you need His answers? how much you need to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. Do you know how far you have to go? Lastly, as an application, I told you last week that meditation and prayer work together very well. And so I wanted to touch on that just briefly to help us see how meditation from last week can feed right into prayer. And I was so thankful for the way that the service went, especially Mark's prayer at the beginning, that if you were able to hear it, there was Scripture spread throughout it. And the more we're coming back to Scripture, the more it's making sense to us to include it into our prayers, to see how those things weave in. And Mark is a man like we are. We are. There's nothing special about Mark. Any one of us can do that uh he was giving us an example that we can all do. And we know that prayer, we're commanded to pray all the time, to pray without ceasing. And at the same time, we have this meditation that people are told that they meditate night and day. Well, if those two things are going to come together, then Prayer and meditation must come together because they're being done at the same time. If you're meditating on the Bible night and day and you're praying without ceasing, then those two things are happening together. And it gives that depth to your prayer life because you're praying back to God, His own words. The more prayers in the Bible you read, even as, Hannah's prayer was read earlier. You can see how going through there, she doesn't even have that much of the Bible already revealed to her, but she's already going back and praying through the Scripture that's already been given. She's praying through the books of Moses and talking about God who is the giver of good things, God who is the one who sustains those who can't sustain themselves, God who gives life, God who is our hope, and at her time, looking forward to Jesus Christ as we can look back and praise God for all the ways that he has fulfilled Scripture in giving us Christ. So finally, I wanted to quickly go through part of Psalm 23 to give an example of how you might pray through Scripture. So there's two levels to this. One is praying through exactly what the psalmist meant. And the other level is letting the Scripture speak to you so that you're reminded of what in your life is like what that scripture is about so for instance we might start out the Lord is my shepherd and pray through that just as we meditated on it stopping a few words at a time and saying the Lord and just letting that be our address oh Lord the one who is the sovereign creator who holds the covenant, who has made and given a name to us that we might know who he is, the one who has revealed himself. We might, that might just be our address to him. And then we might go on from there, the Lord is my shepherd, and say, Father, I know that you have sent your son Jesus Christ to be my shepherd, and I praise you for that. And then I shall not want That I have all the things I need, and you tell me in your word that I need to pray for only my daily bread, and so I pray for that now. But I also pray for those who don't have their daily bread. I pray for their highest need, that you be their shepherd, and I also pray that they would have no wants. I pray for those people who I helped this past week that were not able to meet their own needs. I pray that you would shepherd them, that you would give them and teach them that their true wants are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You can go on with these things, knowing and memorizing just Psalm 23. You can pray for the lost as you ask God to be their shepherd. You can pray for those struggling with their faith or you see as losing their faith. You can pray Jesus Come back, be their shepherd. All of these things are ways to intermingle the meditation of God's Word with prayer. And I encourage you to use that as you go through and as you figure out things in the morning that you're going to meditate on for the day. Turn those into prayers. Turn those into, how can I pray for My spouse, how can I pray for my children just using this one verse, just using this idea that I'm meditating on today? How can I pray? It will enrich your prayer life because often we'll get stuck in a rut that we pray the same things about the same people and don't break out of those. It will give us more words and more ideas to pray about more things to the one who has given us his word so that he can fulfill it so that he can keep it, so that he can encourage us by answering our prayers through it. And now, I'd like to pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, you have told us to Ask to seek, and we will find, to knock, and it will be opened to us. You have taught us that you are holy, that you are the one who answers our prayers, and our prayers will be answered with a holiness that is beyond our understanding. Help us to trust in that. Help us to come. Help us to accept that invitation that Jesus has set out to come pray before you, to come frequently, to put effort into our prayers, to submit ourselves to your answers, to your wisdom, to your promises that you know all things, that you know what is good in all things, that you know what we need better than we can know it ourselves. Father, we even now pray all of these because your son Jesus has made us a part of your family and has invited us into your home. Amen.